think we a lot alike, dude. Mm. And I think um, from what I've learned about you, looking at your content, listening to your story, we're really trying to change the narrative about men, yeah. black men, mm -hmm. how we show up, what we think about. And there's this idea about us not having emotions that yeah. just ain't nowhere near the truth, man. That's a fact. How have you, um, when did you start your journey to unpack these emotions, try to make sense of them and see where it fits and what's comfortable, what's not uncomfortable? Yes, I think I'm 36 now, 29, when I turned 29, 30, I was working in a group home. Black teenage boys, they would go to therapy every Tuesday. And I would sit there and listen to their sessions and hear them talk about, you know, them being adopted, their family not being there for them, just kind of like releasing stuff. And then like, if teenage boys can do, do this, why can't I? So I asked a the therapist, I'm like, I got some stuff I need to unpack. It's my first time ever in therapy. First time, nobody in my family's been in therapy. I don't think I really knew anybody at the time since y'all I'm in therapy. And um, sat down for a session. I laid across the couch like I've seen on TV, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess this is what he's supposed to do. So I'm yeah. laying on the couch and I'm just telling her all about everything that I experienced in life. And I think the biggest debacle I had going on at the time was just, you know, me trying to figure out my whole sexuality as a man, you know. Mm. I think that was like the biggest thing that was kind of like hanging over my shoulders at the time. And she had challenged me to tell some of my friends about it. I'm like, you're wilding. And I just happened to be in a group text with like, at the time, probably about five of my closest friends. She said, just pick five people. And I said, well, I'm here with them in this group text, so I might as well. So I told them and you just never know the response you're going to get from people as a black man who lived a life of homosexuality once upon a time. You just don't know because the stigma that's around that and black men. And the conversation just went totally, I thought it was gonna go left, but it went right. It was just, I commend you for being in therapy. I'm glad you're working through you. You know, one of my friends, I, I think I had a suspicion of it based upon what you've told me about your life and everything like that. But it was just, it wasn't nothing that made me say, you know what, I'm gonna be ashamed to go back into my friend circle. And that was like my journey to like, starting to understand my emotions and how they function, how I function in my emotions as a black man. What were you fearful of when you, before that period of time when you were trying to, I guess, reconcile, I guess you, you were hiding it. You said you were dealing with yeah. parts of homosexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like that whole, like, you know, what Atlanta's known for, you know, black men on DL type situation. It was just more so, will I be judged and will I lose friends because of my lifestyle? Okay. You know, and I didn't really personalize it too much then because it was just like, as a black male, you just don't know what type of, you know, backlash you can get from that. Will I lose friends? Will I be judged? You know, when I come into my circle of my male friends, how would they feel about me being around, everything like that. So it was just so much stuff going on in my head, just driving me crazy. And I just, I just didn't know how to express it, how to release it and how to still just be me and go through this journey. Were you, were you challenging your concepts of manhood at that time? Did you feel like you weren't fully a man through your process I, yeah, with that? Absolutely. Like okay. even in my college years, like I slept with so many women just to try to prove my manhood. 
Like, it was just like, I thought, you know, because as a kid, you know, I was told, you know, there are certain things you, you have to do to kind of like solidify your manhood. You know, watching porn was one of them, and that developed into me having a porn addiction. You know, sleeping with women was one of them. So it's like, I'm just, okay, well, to prove myself as a man, I'm gonna watch as much porn as I can, I'm gonna sleep as much women as I can, to say, yo, this is who I am as a man. And I realized as I grew older, I'm like, yo, like, I'm doing myself so much harm that I am good to myself. And so, I just, just, I was just like trying to figure yourself out. What did you uncover about yourself when you were going through therapy? Um, one, that I ain't the only person. Because for the longest, I, I don't know why I thought this, but for the longest, I just thought, you know, like, Jovan's the only guy who's going through this right now. Because it's just something that's not talked about. You know, you don't hear too many men talking about, yo, I was once on a DL. You know, I once was molested as a kid. This is what transpired from all of that. You know, there's, I, I haven't found any too many black men talking about it until, like, recently when I ran into um, my homeboy, um, he has a group called the Survivor Circle. And it's a bunch of men just like me who've experienced the same exact things as I did. You know, lo and behold, I just found that probably about two years ago, but from six, seven, eight years ago when I was like living that life, you know, just trying to figure myself out, it was just, I gotta hide because, you know, you hear stuff or like you listen to, um, you kind of listen to people's conversations about how they feel about black men. And, you know, my man can't be gay. He can't be this. You know, I never did this type of dude. And it's like, you know, you feel a type of way about that because it's like now you're kind of suppressing everything that you want to release that the little boy in me is screaming to release. But it's just I kept suppressing it because of the fear of being judged. How long did it take you to overcome that fear? I think it took me from the first time I stepped foot in therapy I would say probably about a year or two, just kind of just going through the motions and opening up about it to like, you know, my closest friend and to my best friend, you know, of, you know, who I've been known since college, you know, she's been with me through everything, a part of my life, um, to telling my parents, to telling my siblings, to telling my, you know, to telling women when I started dating, like this once upon a time, this is my part of my life. So it was just like, you go through all these emotions of telling your story over and over and over again. And um, that was the first episode of my podcast was me just sharing my story because I felt like if I want people to be vulnerable and open and transparent, it got to start with me. Yeah. You know, and I felt like and it felt good, you know, finally being able to like kind of like break that piece of the ice of yourself. That's, you know, like where you're saying I've held this in for so long and I finally get to open up about it. I finally get to talk about it. I finally get to talk about it without my voice trembling or anything like that. You know, it just started feeling better. And then when I hear the response of where there's men in my DMs talking about, yo, man, I went through that same exact thing, man. Thank you for just sharing that. Men who want to work with me say, man, I need some help on how to navigate this life that I'm living right now. So it's just once I got over myself, I realized that I'm being a vessel, not just for myself, but for others. this vessel that you all are hearing and looking at, he is a therapist, a healing coach, a beautiful human being, a survivor, a figure outer of life, a brother who is unafraid to be vulnerable. Jovan Palmer. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. Man, listen, 
Your story is unbelievable. Um, and I think that one of the things that was the most apparent to me, mm -hmm. you embody the idea that you don't have to have it all together to yeah. be useful. For sure. And the, and, the, and the brokenness, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. that you do bring forth in your pursuit to be useful, to, be, to, to impact other people's lives, are some of the main ingredients that you use to be the most um, impactful in people's lives. The fact that you've been able to share in the way that you have your journey and your story, man, I can't speak for other folks, bro, but, but for me, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been transformative. And I you, in a lot that. of ways, validate the path that I feel I'm on mm -hmm. to share and be more vulnerable, man. Yeah. And, I, and I just really appreciate you, bro, and in the most sincere way for, for, for just you just doing what it is that you do. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed you like to do <laughs> on your joints yeah. is go back. Oh, yeah. You a, you a, you a go backer. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think it's going back can be a gift and a curse because oh, sometimes sure. people go back. They want to live there. They want to. Mm -hmm. They don't. I, I feel I feel it's useful to go back to get the parts that you need to help Absolutely. make sense to the dots. Yep. And going back to your story, bro, is a hard go back for me just even. But. When you go back and you look at your life and your, your formidable years, mm -hmm. what parts of your life would you say would be the, 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 the ones that kind of encapsulate like who you are now as, as, a, as an adult male Jovan Palmer? So this might sound crazy, but I say all of them. Okay. I feel like every experience that I've lived in life, I can learn something from it, whether it be big or small. You know, like I said, if we start back and we say, you know, how far back do you want to go in your life? I can say, I don't remember. I vaguely remember my childhood, like, you know, the, the formative years from zero to like six and seven. Like, I just don't, I don't really, really to remember too much. But, you know, I remember coming from a family that loved me. At the time, growing up, it didn't seem like it because I was looking at it from just Jovan's point of view and not from a holistic family point of view. You know, parents who had me at, in their teens. So I'm thinking, if I think about, my, about myself as a teen having a kid, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And you kind of figure, trying to figure it out. And it took me the longest to try to kind of figure out, to understand that my parents were just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, so me being molested, I somewhat blame my parents for that, you know? How it happened, when it happened, you know, I, I look back on those days. If you ask me to say, yo, I'm going to give you this piece of paper. I'm going to give you a pencil, some paint, and I want you to draw out what it looked like. I can tell you vividly. Or if there was a guy who was like, you know, or a lady who was like this dope artist and say, you speak it, I paint it. Here's this blank canvas. We're going to do this. I can remember those days because those days is what hurt the most. And those are days where I lived 
in those moments, the deepest and darkest. You know, it's just for some odd reason, my darkest days kind of took over my, you know, best days in my life sometimes. And I realized that when I lived in those spaces, I lived in hurt, regret, pain, joy, brokenness, sadness, you know, so much stuff I lived in and I wanted to hold on to because it's like, if I hold on to these things and I share these things or you look at me a certain, certain type of way, you look at me as the victim. Oh, it's, oh poor Jovan, let's, yeah. let's lift him up. And it was just like, I couldn't live that way. I didn't want my life to be lived as just a victim. I wanted my life to be, you know, a place where people, if my life was a book or if it was a movie, it was a place that people can come and say, you know what? He didn't give up. He kept pushing. He lived in those moments, like you talk about, you know, living in the moments for a, for a second or for a few minutes to kind of go back and grab some things that you may need. But he also pressed forward. Did you, when you were looking back, when you started the practice of looking back, were you looking back and staying back there longer than you should have? I was looking back to just trying to figure out life and try to make life make sense. Like, you know, why did I go through this? You know, there was times where as a kid, I was like, you know, just, I just wish I was born in a different family sometimes because of the experiences that I lived in. Like, you know, I just wish like, I never been like a suicidal type person. That's never been my vibe. You know, I'm not taking away from people who've been that way, you know, cause I get it. But it's just, I just wanted something different from my life because I didn't want to experience, if this is what I got to experience for the rest of my life, I don't want to experience it with these people, you know? And, I was very standoffish for my family for some time, um, very distant. It just took them some time to get to know me, took me time to get to know them. And it was just, when I look back on those days and say, you know what, I wish I could change them, but I can't. Yeah. And I can't dwell on what I can't change anymore. And I think a lot of people, they rather dwell on the fact that this is what happened in my life and I'm gonna stay there. And I realized in me trying to stay there, I was never gonna grow. What was, the, what was the hardest part of letting that past go? Wanted to hold on to it. Like wanting to say, you know, I wanted to hate people. I literally say, I want to hate you. You know, I don't want you, I want you to know that I hate you. Like I want you to know that I don't like you. I wanted to be, I, I made it known, like, you know, once upon a time where I would visit certain people and I would ruin the visit on purpose. Mm. Like my brother's in, incarcerated. Me and him just didn't get along. We would visit him. I would ruin the visit on purpose because I didn't want to be there. My parents just like, yo, like, you got to stop doing that. I'm like, y'all don't understand why I don't want to be there, you know. And they kept making me go back. And eventually it was to the point where, you know what, we're going to stop making you go. But you're going to come to this state with us because you're still a minor. You can sit in the car, but you ain't got to go in there. Because what happened is it was now ruining the experience for everybody else yeah. who wants to be there. And it was just like, I think that was a part of me growing up as well. It's like, you know, I can't keep on ruining somebody else's experience due to what I got going on. How was your parents, re, what was your parents, re, let me take this back. Did you divulge to your parents what happened? Not until I was 19 years old. So my ex-girlfriend in college, we had talked about it. I don't know how we got on the subject of me being molested, but we talked about it and um, she was like, you gotta tell your parents. I'm like, nah, I'm cool. Like, they don't need to know. I went all these years without telling them why they need to know. She was like, they need to know, like, you know, what happened to you because it happened so close in your family. And um, so I went home for Christmas break one year and I sat my parents down. It was just me, my moms, and pops in the kitchen. And pretty much like, imagine like this is like a big, like round couch. I'm sitting next to my mom's. She's on her computer. My dad's in the, like right behind us in the kitchen. I think he's like maybe pouring him a drink or something like that. And um, I told me like, when I was 12 years old, I was molested. 
told him like you know exactly who it, who it was and everything like that and um it got quiet and my first ever tattoo it said only god understands me my pops got upset that i got the tattoo but he said when you turn 18 you can do as you please and i took things very literal and then he took me upstairs and um he and i talked for a little bit he was like yeah i get it and i get you down you know i understand why you got that tattoo that says only god understands you and that's how i felt for the longest i felt like god was the only person on this earth that understood me outside of my grandparents, you know, and it was just my mom. She took it the hardest, you know, because it's her baby boy. Yeah. And um, you don't want those type of things to happen to your kids and you don't want these things to happen right under your house or under your roof. And my mom, she took it very personal. And I think it took her some time because when she took it personal, that's where I took it personal as well, where it was like, well, now you see that it was your fault. Like it was like I was still trying to put the blame on them, even like. I think it was like even an unconscious way of me doing it. I didn't spitefully like want willingly do it. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like the pain inside of me was causing me to spew out the blame game. Did you feel relief when you shared it with your parents? Yeah, because like for the longest I wanted my parents to know. Like I wanted the world to know what happened to me. I wanted because I wanted to be understood because I felt misunderstood as a child growing up. There's like, oh, Javon's so quiet. Javon don't like being bothered with people, you know. He likes to just sit in the corner. Like, my mom's, she tells a story to the day. Like, I threw Javon a birthday party. People there and everything. He just sitting in the corner by himself. You know, just like, I, would, I think I've always been a quiet kid just due to, like, just kind of, like, life circumstances. And then trying to develop into who you are. You know, I felt like, you know, I grew up with the whole middle child syndrome and everything like that. You know, being the middle child in the family where, you got baby girl who's my sister, my youngest sister, and you got my older brother, and then my older sister, you know, she didn't live with us at the time, but it was just like, I felt as if Jovan's screaming out for help and crying out for help and nobody's hearing me, you know? And that was the hardest part about me and being in my family was like, I felt like I wasn't heard for the longest. And if I wanted to tell my parents, y'all got my, being molest, I was molested, it's like, will you believe me? Even, even if I told y'all, yeah. would you believe me if I told y'all? You know, everything like that. So that's where it kind of like, I kinda, that's my suppression really started was at that young age. Just nobody's going to believe me, so I just keep it in. So you, so you, you shared that information with your parents at 19, mm-hmm. and then 10 years later is when you were working at the group home yeah. and you went to the therapy session. Mm-hmm. What was that 10 years like for you? So that's when I told you, like, I was trying to prove my manhood. So I figured, you know, for me to fight these urges and these thoughts I'm having in my head, I'm going to sleep with every woman that I can get a chance to sleep with. You know, I don't care if I'm known as his hoe. I don't care if I'm known as whatever I'm known as. This is what men do. So that's what I was doing. Like, I was, grades were still cool. You know, I still kept a decent life. Like, you know, nobody would really know. Like, my mom, she was just like, Jermaine, he was always around women all the time. You know, and for me, I kind of deviated from being around men. And I didn't realize that until I looked back on my life, it was like majority of my friends are women because women were a safe space for me because men, I just couldn't trust because it was a man who molested me. So like even my dad, like he and I's relationship is just now like a few years ago, just now getting stronger. Like it was always been a relationship there, but it's just now getting stronger because I just didn't trust men throughout my entire life. So for those 10 years, I'm not trusting men. I'm sleeping with all types of women. I flunked out of school almost. I'm drinking a lot, smoking, um, just doing stuff that I've never experienced in life before just to, like, mask my pain that I'm still dealing with. And I'm still dealing with the pain of being molested. 
I'm still dealing with the pain of trying to prove my manhood or trying to figure out what does manhood look like. I'm tr still trying to, you know, mask the pain of because my emotions. I was a very emotional dude growing up, very emotional, like, you know, tears, crying, like for sometimes because somebody's going through something and I'm empathizing with them and not understanding why, I'm at the, you know, at a young age, not understanding what empathy is for other people, yeah. you know, and being told, you know, men don't cry, suck that shit up, you know, all that type of stuff that you're being told for those 10 years is all the things I've been dealing with. So it's like, I got to change who I, I was or who I naturally am because society says this is not what a man is. So now I'm saying, okay, now I'm learning this is not what a man is. I got to like kind of cultivate into this new man of what I know manhood to be. And, and that is a part of you expanding the concept of masculinity, right? Absolutely. Because I think that's what I'm trying to do as well, bro. We, we talk about this, you know, provision and protection role yeah. for men and how, you know, we're supposed to show up and, and protect. But, you know, if, if you're not connecting to those emotional aspects of who you are as mm -hmm. a man and developing those muscles and those tools, especially if you have a daughter, but when you have a son, any child, absolutely, you're not connecting with them in a way for your antennas to be up to really feel what's right. going on because you're playing this role. And at the same time as you're playing this role, you're disconnected. You're not in tune with what's really going on with absolutely. the child, which keeps, which, which leaves that child exposed to some of these situations mm -hmm. that are, that are harmful to them. And so for me, in a lot of cases, I think it's about like, you're going to be your most useful. You're going to be your most, you're going to, you're going to have the most, you're going to have the highest ability to protect if you are connecting and expanding this concept of masculinity. Right, right, right. So you can know what it's like to, 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 to connect to those feelings. Cause the kid is speaking, man. I was yeah. like you very uh, quiet. There's a lot going on. I didn't, I didn't have the nurturing aspect that I felt. There was just one part that I felt I, had, I could access as a little mm -hmm. boy. And that part was the machismo, da 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 da. Yeah. But I had a dominant aspect of me that I was cutting off that ultimately started turning into um, dysfunctional behavior. Mm -hmm. That if there was someone in my life that could have helped me understand and access what those parts are so that I could integrate them in a, in a, in a, in a healthier way. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been trying to ignore them or, and, and giving them an opportunity to turn into something that was, that was, that wasn't pro my humanity. Absolutely. And that's and expanding that concept of humanity as weird. And I'll be honest, bro. I feel weird as hell sometimes. Absolutely. Saying some of the things that I feel compelled to say yeah, yeah. when I'm around my homeboys. Mm -hmm. Like I, I wanted, I love my friends, bro. Yeah. I, I genuinely love them. And I, and, and I know that there's nothing wrong with loving a man right. in that way. But in any way, let me get that out the way. But communicating it sometimes is uncomfortable yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you don't get the reaction right, right. sometimes. But, but I'm fortified in a way now to where I just push through anyway. But, yeah. but, but, but it's something that I do, you know, have to 
reconcile every now and then when I'm having, and I'm so thankful to my friends that I have certain relationships with guys to where mm -hmm. they, you know, repeat it back. And we're very conscious about being intentional about expanding this thing, which is beautiful about being a man Absolutely. in 2023. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't think our fathers had that space. I don't think their fathers had that space. And, you know, the more we create that space, I think the better the better we can be and the more useful we can be in our families and in our communities. Man, I agree. Like, I think a few years ago, my dad, I think for the first time, I can actually recall my dad telling me he loved me. And it felt super weird. Like, we, my father was most like, hey, what's up? Like, we might, like, shake our hands, whatever. But I think my father really took the time, which I appreciate. He took the time to really just individualize his relationship with his kids. You know, a few years ago, I think he really was like, Jovan needs to hear I love you. He needs to hear that, you know, I'm here for him. Like, he understood that. And he got it. I didn't have to tell him. He just got it. Mm. And I'm thankful. Like, he took my parents to therapy. And he came. You know? Like, we had to, you know, really just get through some things of how I felt as a child. But it's just now, like, every time I see my pops, it's, we hug. He tells me he loves me. We kick it. We go have lunch. You know, I sit in his workshop with him and talk to him for a few. You know, he tells me, you know, about life situations. He called and vented about stuff. I call and vent about stuff. And it's just... That's the relationship I desired as a boy my entire life. Yeah. Was just like that more intimate relationship with my dad. And I'm thankful that he's still around that we get to get that. You know, even my mom, like she started telling me she loves me a lot more. We hug. There was a time where I just want I didn't want to be around my parents. And it's just as I grew emotionally, it was just like I had to let go of some things. And a part a part of that, mm -hmm. I think, sometimes too, is, and this is real important for I think, especially. Well, we're all children because we're yeah. here, but <laughs> so, just because you start doing just because if your parents are doing the work, it's not fully on them. Everybody Ooh. in the joint got work to do, Everybody. bro, because we got to let go yeah. so that we can hold on to the present. Because some of that stuff in the past, man, is we're just holding. We're not giving them a chance to show up yeah. differently. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really hard part Very of hard. the healing process. Absolutely. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to show my love. I'm trying to expand. I'm trying to do these things. But all those thoughts and memories of the past keep on showing up. In they the keep present. showing up, bro. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about you sending or going to therapy with, dude, when <laughs> I saw that episode. Yeah. And... I was moved, man. I was, first off, shout out to your mother and father. Yeah, I appreciate them. I don't know many people's parents, bro, who would go. Mm -hmm. I don't. And the fact that your parents did says a lot about who they are and what their commitment level is to you and yeah. all their children. I mean, even if you're the one inviting them, mm -hmm. that's something that trickles down to the whole family unit, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Um, what was it like when you went to your parents and said, hey, I want y'all to come to therapy with me? Um, it was cool. Like, surprisingly, it's just because my parents, they desired to have a better relationship with me. And I think that, I need to ask them, though. I think they knew that if they wanted to have this relationship, this is going to be a part of it. So my mom came first. We had an in-person session. Um, bro, like... I get emotional talking about this joint. Like, I literally cried in my mother's lap in therapy. Mm. Like, a little boy. I'm, like, on this couch. My therapist is bringing up parts of my childhood, and I'm literally, like, balled up in the fetal position in my mom's lap, just crying out. 
all the things I've always wanted to tell my moms. You know, I always get emotional because it's like I'm thankful that my mom's was the mom that she was. You know, if I can get my the mom of the war mom of the um, year award, I give it to her. You know, because she really like when I look back on life, she really just did the best that she could do. And to me, when I was going through that phase of like that uneasy part of like you know relationships with your parents, doing the best that you could just wasn't enough for me. Yeah, and as I grew as a man, I grew emotionally and I started learning more about family systems and all that types of stuff. It's like, she was a kid raising a kid, doing the best that she could, trying to like, you know, raise a kid, have a life. And the fact that she was receptive to all the things that, you know, I was saying. Now, of course, there was a little bit of, you know, like when you know, it was like the, well, I was this way or this is what happened, this type of stuff like that that happened in the session, but it was just like, Thank God for my therapist who was able to see that that and kind of like pull things back into the loop of where it needed to be. And, you know, my mom, you know, she said she apologized to me. You know, and that's all I really wanted was an apology. Wow. And I, did, I just didn't know as a, I didn't know how to say it. You, and you kind of don't want to. Yeah, you don't. It's yeah. almost like, tell me you love me. And it's right. like, if I got to tell you to They're tell me. Tell you to tell me. It, yeah. it like, don't. Why did I tell you? It don't mean nothing. But it's just, I think she just needed to understand more and just to hear it. And when she heard it, you know, she empathized with me and she apologized, you know, and it was, that's all I really wanted. Did, did things come up for you, did things come up for your mom that helped, that you were unaware of, that helped put her story Absolutely. into a, yeah, yeah, into, I, I, humanize I her? Yeah, I learned more about my mom's in those sessions, you know, just her journey growing up, you know, being adopted, not knowing who your real biological mother is, you know. So it's like she has her whole situation going on while trying to raise three kids yeah. and be a wife. Yeah. You know, so at a young age, like I was, I remember my parents, but I was in it. So it's like, you know, she got all that, you know, that mystery of like, who do I come from? Like she grew up with her biological father her entire life, but it's just still a part of her missing. Yeah. So the part of her that's missing, sometimes she couldn't show up as a mom like she wanted to. And as I grew older, my emotions and understanding them, I'm like, you know, like, I can't fault my mom's anymore because she had her own baggage that she was dealing with and still trying to raise a kid. I couldn't imagine doing that. Yeah. I just couldn't imagine. So it's like, why am I holding my mom's to all this stuff that happened in the past when she's just trying to love me? She's just trying to understand me. She's just trying to have a relationship with me. And it's like, I can't keep doing that to her. I'm doing more damage and more harm to my, my bloodline yeah. than I am good. And I get some people's like, you know, oh, no, she need to be, she, like, I've had some people say, you know, you, you don't need to forget your mom, your mom need to forget. I'm like, no, nah, like, and I had to quiet that noise out of my ear because it had I listened to them people, my parents and I wouldn't have had a relationship that we have right now. I had people tell me the same, bro, because yeah. my mom, I interviewed my mom for my joints. I want to do that so bad. Both it was, my parents, and I think it's coming up soon. You do. It was, it was, it was, it was a very beautiful, I, I learned so much about my mom that I didn't even know before the, uh, the session that we never mm -hmm. talked about before. One of the things that I learned is that my mother, my mother had me when she was 22 and she was the oldest of nine kids. Mm -hmm. And one of the things my mom said was when she had me, she didn't connect with me. Mm. I don't know if it was like the post, uh, yeah, whatever, post, um, whatever the joint. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it was that, or I don't, but it was just in her mind. She had been raising these eight siblings, um, 
supporting them and doing all of that kind of stuff. And when it came to her having her own, mm -hmm. there was just a disconnect. And what was beautiful about our conversation is I recognized, and my mom struggled with uh, substance abuse too, okay. which was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, alcohol was her joint. She just celebrated her 25th year of sobriety not too Ooh, long ago. So she did her, she, yeah. she's doing her thing, man. And um, she acknowledged, I, I, I was, I was, I was reflecting back to her what my side of our relationship was and just trying to, not to judge or mm -hmm. to be critical or anything, but just to try to understand what her side of it was yeah. at that same time. Yep, yep. And she was like, oh, I know what that was. Or, oh, yeah, you're right. I felt that too. This is what was going on on my side. Because when you're seven or eight or nine and you're going, you can't, Honestly, for her, to their credit, they probably don't even really fully know what's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. But in hindsight, when you're having those kind of conversations, dude, mm -hmm. it can really, it can really add context to just. I wanted to see my mom, not as a mom, but as a woman, yeah. as a little girl. Mm -hmm. She's, and I was recognizing that her her title of mother is just one of many things that she is. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. and the metric that I've been holding her to as mom wasn't giving her any space to show right, up right, as right. a woman or a daughter, little girl, all yeah. of these other things that she carries with her mm -hmm. through her life, man. So it was it was beautiful to see. I don't know if she will go to therapy. You know? <laughs> but it's a start, though. Yeah. It's a start. And I think everybody got to start somewhere. You know, it's, I think therapy scares our parents' generation because it's so much to unpack. It's a lot, bro. And it's like, if you don't know what to do with that, you drive yourself crazy. Like, yeah. I, I got to go back there. Yeah. You know, I'm here in 2023, and I got to go back to 1970, 1960s. Yeah. You know, when there was so much going on, racism, Jim Crow, you know, being a teenage parent or whatever, a young parent, whatever it be, drug, alcohol, all that type of stuff. A lot of people don't know how to deal with that stuff. How was the joint with your dad, bro? The same. Virtual appointment. I'm in the car driving. Had to pull over because I'm crying again. Because I had to, t I had to talk, tell my dad about himself. And I didn't want to do that. I had to tell him some things that he said to me as a child that still rings bells to this day. Like, there's things... My parents said to me that I can still recall to this day that hurt me. And having to tell your parents that, you know, that, you know, especially my dad, you know, who always been there for me. My dad was my coach. You know, any sport I played, he showed up. You know, it's not like he wasn't there. He wasn't present. I just think my dad didn't know how to show up for me emotionally as a child. That was me. I, I think that was like our biggest disconnect. My dad, to this day, he'll tell me if I'm in a chewing gum contest, he's going to show up. And I know he will. I can always count on my parents to show up for me. That's one thing they always did do. As parents, as kids, basketball games, they showed up. Recitals, poetry contests, chess contests, baseball. Parents hated baseball, but they still showed up. Both of them? Both of them. That's beautiful. Both of them. My parents have been together 30-plus years. Through whatever they've gone through, they still, they thugged it out, figured it out. And, you know, telling my dad some things that hurt me was like, this, it was painful. I'm crying. I'm in the car crying. because like, my dad is like, me and my dad are very similar, mm. very stubborn. Sometimes be really hard-headed, don't want to hear the other side of the story sometimes. You know, so it's like sometimes I feel like when I'm talking to my dad, it's like I could be talking to a brick wall. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like it was just hard because, like, I think the emotional part for me was, like, just getting him to understand my point of view. And I think 
my therapist helped him to understand my point of view. My dad, I was always like, how's your therapist doing? Like, you know, how are you doing? What's new in your life? You know, it's just like those conversations and what we have nowadays. What's going on? Like, I feel like now I can't go to my dad. Once upon a time, I didn't want to go to my dad for advice. I'll go find it somewhere else. But now it's like, I appreciate the fact that me and my dad got over the hurdles that we had as, you know, that I had in my childhood, in my teenage years, my young adult years. We, I, we've gotten all the rest of Like, I'm not even holding my pops for that stuff no more. Because it's just, I'm not saying I'm making up for lost time, but I'm making up for the time that we still yeah. have here present on this earth right now. So it's like my father's calling me. I pick up the phone. He'll cut my father always on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> so he called me. Now. <laughs> when he called me, he's like, what you find now? Oh, yeah, I found this, piece, this, wood, this wood tool. Can you go pick it up? All right, cool. I got you. Let's do lunch. All right, I'm cool. Like, it's just like I'm cool with where we are right now because we've gotten over the biggest hurdle or the biggest elephant in the room that we need to get over. Now, one of the things I heard in one of your interviews, man, that I thought was really beautiful, at least from a a relationship standpoint, was your relationship with your grandfather. Yeah, that's my guy. Like, he was like, I think my grandfather, he's my last living grandparent. And spiritually be connected because once upon a time, he always said that boy going to be a pastor one day. He'll be a a preacher one day. And I, I followed that path for a little bit. And, you know, Whatever I needed for my grandfather, he just showed up. You know, he was just always there. That was my rock when I was going through. When I needed somebody to depend on, when I needed a father figure, he was there. Like, you know, when I, even my, like I said, my dad has always been there, but it was just like he was the guy that understood and took the time to understand. He was the guy where my grandfather would cry, and he showed me what emotions looked like. You know, he'd be in church crying. He's at home crying. Something happened to his grandkids or his wife. He's crying publicly. You know, he's not trying to hide it. Mm. And I think I just said, you know, I want to emulate that. You know, I want to be a man. My grandfather was a man's man. Worked two jobs, bust wood. To this day, he's in a wheelchair with one leg and still trying to do all the things that he once did back in the day. Nice. And um, he and I just connected from birth. Like, I just, we just connected. I'm partially named after him, Jovan and Joseph. Like, that's, you know, anything I think, though he's my last living grandparent and I've understood the concept, the notion of death now, I think I'll probably still take it a little hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we, he and I, we talk every week. You know, um, he was down in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, pulled my back, lifted him up, you know. And he called me probably like two, three times a week. I'm just calling check. Are you good? You good? You good? You know, and, you know, we got this joke of, you know, I'm the favorite grandchild. You know, that's how I, tell my, I tell my other cousins I'm the favorite. And um, I believe it, you know, just because of the connection we have with each other, you know. And like, I just go spend time with him just because. I go fly out there to New York and we sit. I don't care we just sitting there. My first cup of coffee was my grandfather. You know, my first, like, you know, stitches was because my grandfather, my forehead, he tossed a piece of wood and it caught yeah. me in the forehead. You know, so it was just like, you know, having somebody as a male figure that was positive in my eyes was something that I, you know, delighted in. As you, you speak, You speak so beautifully, man, about your relationship with the men in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's not lost on me that your violation was by a man. Yeah. A male. And you hear a lot of things now about you don't need men or women don't need men. And like there's 
you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Sure. You know, just because there are these things that are happening in people's lives that are unfortunate, mm -hmm. that are being committed by men, doesn't mean that men, the concept of men in and of themselves in, in, in young people's lives, specifically men, yeah. aren't, are trivial, yeah. aren't needed. Because I would say, I mean, I'm, I'll say this and then I'll get your feedback. As, as messed up as the situa situation was with the male who committed the, the violation, there were other men in your life pouring into you and Absolutely. loving you just as much that 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 adds to who you are yeah, today sure. as a man just as all the other things now you get to choose which you focus on right and maybe you have to balance that and go back and forth but that's the that's the journey of you for sure you know but you have all of those three there mm -hmm. do you do you see do you see yourself struggling with that at all in any way what you mean the, the 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 one guy and then the violator and then the the other two men. Yeah, so I think being violated caused me to disconnect from men in a way where I knew I still needed men in my life because they had my dad had to be there. You know, he couldn't walk away. It was just not his character to walk away from his kids. My grandfather had to be there. You know, because that's just their character. And if you look at the character of a man and not just who they are as a whole individual, it's not like the pieces of them, should I say, I can't look at the pieces of you and then say, that's who you are and say, tell that story about you, you know? So growing up, yeah, I did have a disconnect. My, I think if I look at the ratio of men to women in my family, there's more women in my family. And then I look at the age gap of my cousins and I, you know, all of my older cousins at the time, you know, they were doing what they do. So I couldn't really roll with them. And then all my younger cousins, they're younger than me. So it's like you want to kick with your younger kids, like cousins like that. So you right. gotta try to find who in your family that you rock with. And it was the majority of just women. So it was just, I think the disconnect was more so that there just wasn't a lot of enough men in my family that biologically just happened to come during our, you know, our family journey and whatnot. But as I grow older, it's like men need men. Like I need, like, I as an individual, I need men in my life. I can't just have a bunch of just feminine energy in my life 24-7. I need a little masculinity to kind of like help me balance it out. Although we all are born with, you know, the both masculine and feminine traits. It's just, you don't want to be as a man to be so feminine dominant that you don't understand what it is to be a man sometimes and understand that, that masculine side of you. So I'm thankful that my grandfather was there to pour into me. You know, I'm thankful that my dad was still present in my life. You know, my pops could have walked away if he wanted to. As a young, young dad, he could have said, I can't do this. Yeah. But he, he decided to stick, like through all of his ups and downs in life, all his faults and stuff like that, he decided to stick around. And for a lot of my friends growing up, my pops was their pops, mm. you know? Because their dads wasn't fully present in their lives like that. You know, like my dad was like the neighborhood dad sometimes. My mom, like, you know, it was just, that's what it was. Mom, neighborhood mom sometimes. So it was just having men in my life growing up, though I was going through what I was going through, it allowed for me to kind of see what a man is. It allowed for me to kind of pick and say, okay, I like that characteristic of my dad, so I want, I want to keep that. Or I don't like that about my dad, so I'm not going to take that with me. I, like, I love that about my grandfather, so I'm going to keep that. I don't like that. Like, though, though my grandfather's my, my guy, there's some things I'm not going to like about him that I say, you know, I don't want to encompass in my life. And as a man, like I said, I get to choose that. You know, yeah. 
once upon a time, I didn't get to choose the things that I wanted to happen for me. But as I grew older, I choose to be an emotional guy. I choose to be in tune with my emotions. You know, my, I choose that characteristic of my grandfather. You know, I choose the characteristic of my father of being a helper, you know, showing up for other people, you know, in the way that you want people to show up for you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, though there was a slight disconnect, I was still watching my dad. Yeah. You know, and I see so much of my dad in me as I grow older. That's crazy, right? Yeah, it's very wild. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like, ah, I didn't want to be like you. And then here I am, 36 years old, and I see myself, and I'm cool with being the parts of my dad that, I'm, that I am. You know, I'm cool with my stubbornness sometimes. I'm cool with, you know, my willingness to help and show up and to, yeah. you know, be outspoken and, you know, to connect with people. If we, that journey, man, and the way that that, the way that the, the way that the similarities unfold as we get older. Yeah. It's such a beautiful thing, man, to experience, especially between a father and son. My father, my father passed away nine, ten years ago. Okay. And I was there when he passed away, like in the hospital. Mm. It's just he and I in the hospital room. And um so I've got to I've got to continue to 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 live and age. And I'm seeing so much of him through me now. I'm starting yeah, to yeah. dress like him. Uh-huh. You know, when I talk to my sister, she'd be like, you look just like daddy <laughs> and, and all of this. And I'm starting to, I find myself imagining seeing things the way that he does, mm-hmm. the, the way that he did yeah. when he was alive. And, and the older I'm getting, the closer we're getting. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's not here, yeah. which is really weird. Because it makes me miss him mm-hmm. even more the older I'm, and you would think that it would get easier, right? Um, as he's as he's as he's as he's been gone, but it's missing him is not it's not missing him isn't hard. It's just that the 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 intensity yeah. of the missing and the desire to mm-hmm. want to because you want to share some of these new moments. With there him. you go. Yeah. It's like, I feel like now, like, I, as I'm growing in life, I want to share these new moments with my dad. And it's, I think for you, it's like, you want to share these new moments of things that, like, I see myself as you now. Or yeah. I understand, you know, yeah. you did that. Yeah. You know, why you doing that? <laughs> why you did that and stuff like that. So it's just like, the fact that you just can't pick up the phone and say, Dad, like, yo, like, I understand now. Or let me tell you, man, what happened is that you're going to laugh at this right here. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get you. And you want to, and yeah. I could tell him, like, yeah, spiritually, you can spiritually, tell speak it out, but it's just... It ain't... It, I don't it feel like it's the same. Yeah, it's yeah. like how we having this conversation here is like, you know, you want to sit here and talk to your dad, like, oh, that pops, like, you know, like, yesterday, you know, as a kid, you just always say, you one day, you going to understand? Mm-hmm. I now understand. And those are, I think, for men, we need those moments. Yeah. Uh, whether we like it or not, of us being like the person we sometimes despise, we... it's. It's in, it's in us. It's in us. And it's up to us to say, you know what? I'm going to make the best of who I am or what this person is inside of me and make my lineage a lot better for my son or my daughter. That's what, there you go. Yeah. So it's like, I look at my pops, I'm like, you know, I can't take anything from him because he's taught me a lot. Yeah. He's taught me a lot of stuff that I see that men don't do nowadays, which is using these right here. Yeah. My hands. Like, my pops is a woodsman, you know, builds couches built my bed built tables built just built the um bookshelf my father can build anything my father can probably practically do anything he's an engineer by trade 
Okay. Came by the house on my apartment one day. I said, I didn't even put up a fan in my bedroom. You know, just get a little hot in there. All right, cool. Came by. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to show you how to do it, though. Because he wants me to have these. You know, he wants me to be able to do these things for myself and for my family as I decide to build my family or whatnot. Because it's like, if he does it for me, I'm never going to be able to know how to do it. He teaches me how to do it. I'll forever know how to do it. You know, it's like, you know, the story where it says, you know, if you teach a man how to fish, he'll fit half, you know, he'll eat for yeah. days. For days. For days. So it's like my father, he's teaching me principles of what manhood is. How to show up for your family. How to show up for yourself. How to do for yourself. You know, how to use your hands. You know, how to, you know, change the tire, change brakes, change your oil. You know? <laughs> Just stuff like once upon a time. So basic like, stuff. Yeah, basic Maybe, stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm going to pay somebody to do it. <laughs> and then like <laughs> today, literally today, we um, I had this whole thing where I just wanted to live, you know, in the hood and just help my people. And I worked in, you know, the hood of Atlanta, College Park, Old National for six years, over like four years. And my dad, he was like, today, he said, you still want to live there? I'm like, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's like, you know, I got to show me kids. And he, he does. Yeah. Sometimes we just got to be, he's just like, we just got to experience life. And we just laugh about it. You know, once upon a time, I was like, nah, like, you don't get it, dad. I just want, this is what I want to do in my life. And he's like, all right, do it. And, you know, the fact that we can just sit back and laugh about this stuff as a child that I said as a child, yeah. as two grown adults, shows the growth of a man. You yeah. know, we can just laugh about it. It's not no, I told you so. It's just a joke for us. You know, it's a yeah. running joke now. Because like, he already know you know. He, yeah, he knows I know. He yeah. they knew I know. Just, yeah. I didn't know at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, as men, we, that's the stuff we need to have in our lives. You know, when we can look back and laugh about stuff that we were once wrong about. Or that we knew we really didn't desire, but our parents knew that we what our true desires were. You know, so it's just like I think for men, we gotta get out of our own way. What's your relationship like with the creator? It's personal. You know, not personal as I can't share it, but it's personal to where I take it a lot more serious now. You know, I believe in God, I believe in Christ, but I also believe a little different than what I grew up on, you know, because I think about life and I think about people in this big old place that we call the universe. And I think about people who are here in the United States. But I also think about the people who live in these spaces that I've never heard of or never seen, who may have never met a Jesus Christ or never heard of a Jesus Christ. And like this place called heaven or hell, it's like, it may not exist to them. And I think, you know, God created this world and I don't think God created it for us to just have just one way, you know? So it's like, these guys or these men who are in these places I've never been to, they don't believe in God or they don't believe in Christ. Does that mean that they're living their life wrong? Mm. Once upon a time, I thought that way. You know, but as I grew older into relationship with God, it was like I had to understand that, yo, like, people are going to be people. And then everything, that's your relationship with God has to be personal. Yeah. Because if it's not, people are going to be able to say, yo, like, you're wrong. That's not the right way. And who's to say it? Like, we just don't know. Yeah. Like, God's such a big God that, you know, I don't even call God a he. I just call God God. Yeah. Because I, I don't know what God truly is. You know, I'm still searching and, mm -hmm. and, you know, developing my relationship with God. And it's just I, just, I believe that God is the creator of all things. 
I feel like it's kind of like the truth. Yeah. In a way to where like the closer you feel like you get to it, mm-hmm. the further away it gets in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Or like the closer I feel I get to understanding of the right. concept. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the, it gets further. It gets further fr- away because yeah. you start looking at different ways and you start understanding a little bit different and you, you know, you grow spiritually and you grow, your maturity starts growing a little bit more and you're like, dang, like maybe I had it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that person who was saying, you know, I believe in Muhammad. I believe in Buddha. I believe in this. Like, you know, I believe there's something from every aspect of religion that we can take from it and embed it into our lives. You know, I did a 10-day silent retreat. That's the boot. That's what Buddhists and monks do. Mm-hmm. Christians might look at me crazy and say, yo, like, that's not what we do as Christians. Yeah. You know? But it's just, I got to be okay with what I do with my life spiritually. You know, I can't let people say, this is what you need to do. Now, granted, there's people, you know, who maybe a lot more mature than me spiritually, I can say, you know what? My spirit is leaning towards you, so I'm, I'm going to listen to you. You know, then you may say something that I can implement in my life, and I'm cool with it. You might say something that, you know, it seems a little jacked up to me. And I'm like, okay, that's your way of viewing things. And it's just like, once upon a time, you know, I was going through the whole seminary process. Went to, you know, went to divinity school for a year. Had a panic attack and said, I'm not going back. Why, why'd you, what happened? I couldn't retain information for a test. Okay. And I feel like this is not, to me, I just feel like this can't be of God for me. It may be of God for other people, but for me, it's like, I don't need school to teach me how to grow with God. I don't need school to teach me how to talk to people. I, got all, I was born with all this. Yeah. I've, all my life, people have been coming to me, talking to me, asking for my advice unsolicited. I worked in Bed Bath Beyond. There's one lady telling me, I don't know why I'm talking to you and telling you all my business, but I am. Yeah. Telling me her son got cancer and how she dealing with that type of stuff. All my life, I've been dealing with stuff like that all my life. So it's like, that's all, that's God. Did you have to, did you have to reconcile any conflict about what your life experience was versus your concept of God and protection and all of that? For some odd reason, I never blame God for what happened to me. I never say, God, this is your fault. I don't know why. I just never did. I think because God is so spiritual and God is so big and God is so good to me that I look back on my life and there's times where my life shouldn't still be, I shouldn't be sitting in this chair sometimes. The things that I've experienced, you know, in life, God kept me and protected me. When I was being molested, I still believe God was protecting me because it probably could have got worse. I could have lost my life. You know, the dude could have went crazy and said, yo, like, I don't know if you're going to tell somebody, so I'm going to kill you. Because that's happened yeah. to some people. You know, there's times in my life where, man, like, I'm, when I got addicted to porn, I'm phone in one hand, driving, watching a porno, almost ran to the back of a lady. But it was God that said, look up. Had me swerve over into somebody's yard. And that moment, I got to give up porn, you know? There's times where I should have been in jail for drinking um, in college. Got a ticket for public in, um, intoxication in college. I don't think my parents know about that part, so first, <laughs> so they listen to that one. They gonna hear about that, but it's just so many times in my life that I've seen God show up that I can't fault God for just some things that happened in my life. I can't just say, "Oh, God, that's your fault." I think that's spiritually immature of me for somebody who gave me life to talk so down about that person and say it's your fault. That's for me personally. Like yeah. I said, like I tell you all the times, like you can go to church, you can go to the mosque, and go to wherever you want to go to. And you can hear these people talk and everything like that, but it's about what you tend to do with it personally. What you, how you interpret it is how you interpret it. What you do with it is what you choose. And I feel like 
we want to blame somebody, oftentimes we tend to say, okay, well, God, you created this world, you created that person, you created this situation, it's your fault. But dude, you, you represent light, I feel, i.e. truth, to your family in a lot of ways. And I'm imagining, bro, and connect, correct me, fix it all, what I'm about to say, but your truth reveals a lot of other people's truths. Yeah. And you go to your parents and you make this statement about what happened to you. How does your family, extended family, and everybody react to your light, to your to you unveiling this truth that so many of our families want to keep some of this shit hidden. So some of my family don't even talk about it. And I can recall, like, I don't recall many of my family members actually, like, talking about it with me. I've had a few cousins hit me up like, yo, like, I appreciate you so much for saying this, for talking about these things, you know, because it happened to me too. You know, so it's like, when I hear my cousins, some of my few of my cousins hit me up saying, yo, this happened to me too. It's like, okay, I'm doing something right by opening my mouth and talking about this stuff, you know? And it's like, part of me is like, yo, like, y'all don't, y'all didn't hear what happened because I know y'all listen to my podcast. I know y'all listen to my social media. We're not going to talk about this? Like, y'all don't want, y'all don't the questions? And what I realized is that so many people in my family are dealing with their own situations, own stuff. That, of course, you know, every family got their own stuff going on that they're dealing with personally. That they may not have the capacity to deal with things that I've gone through, or they may have not the capacity to deal with their stuff personally in a way that I've dealt with it. Because they may not want to, or they may feel like, you know what, it may put a strain on their relationship with a certain individual in their, in their life through our family, whatever it may be. But it's like, I'm at the point now where I want people to let go of who they knew of me and get to know the person who I am today. Because I can tell that sometimes my cousins still hold on to the young Jovan by the stories they tell. You know, there's one story they tell them that we joke about where my cousin got into a fight when I was a kid in the bowling alley. And my job was to hold the jackets and not get involved in the fight. And I lost my cousin's jackets, you know, because they had, they were throwing down. And they didn't want me to get involved. You know, they were always like, I feel like for me, it's like my family always wanted to protect me. And I'm still trying to tell them, like, trying to yell out, like, cry out, like, I don't need y'all protection no more. I'm cool. I'm, I'm loving my life. I love where I'm at. You know, I laugh. I smile more than I ever have in life. You know, if you see me on social media, you might see me taking my shirt off because I'm so free. You know, and I've been yearning for freedom in my entire life, freedom from being that little boy. Freedom from being trapped, you know, with pornography. Freedom from, you know, out there hoeing around. Freedom from homosexuality. Like, you know, I've been yearning and crying. Like, there's been something inside of me saying, Jovan, be free. And I finally found that freedom to speak up, to speak out, to be me. And it feels amazing to be that person every day. I get to wake up and just be that person. You know, me and my lady went to um, Columbia. We had to walk this big old mountain. And I'm like, cool, going down was cool. Because when we got down there, there was this lake. And you just go swimming in the lake, water's ice cold. And I remember at my 10-day retreat, I took my first cold shower because I wanted some, a different type of feeling inside of me. And I got in the water, I said, oh, it's cold. I said, I'm just go in. 
you, you've met this before. You've seen this before. And she's dealing with, you know, of course, what she got going on. She's like, I want to do this. I'm like, let's do it. I'm jumping in the water, shirt off, head underwater, like just em embracing the coldness because I know eventually I'm going to adjust. And that's how I am. Like, I embrace what I got to deal with, and I adjust as I need to. And that's what I want everybody who comes to my life is just adjust how you need to adjust. I don't want you to change who you are. I don't want you to feel like you got to be a certain type of way around me because once upon a time, people felt like, oh, like I was known as Rev or Deacon because that was, once upon, that was a journey, that was a, a pit stop in my life. And some people are still stuck there at me being Rev and Deacon. So when they hear me cussing or when they hit, see me drinking or they see me wilding out a little bit, they judging me because they're still stuck at that pit stop of me being, you know, that journey that I was at when once upon a time when I thought I was called to mm -hmm. pulpit ministry. And I realized when I, every time I open my mouth, that's ministry. That's ministry, yeah. Yeah. When I mentor these young men, these young ladies, that's ministry. You and I having this conversation right now is ministry. Facts. Me running to some homeless dude or homeless woman on the street, that's ministry. I realized life is just so much bigger than just being stuck inside of a four wall in the place that is like people don't understand that concept of me because they got the fact of what I was supposed to be, what they wanted me to be, or they, what they liked me to be so stuck in their head that they can't see where I'm going. And I can't hold that to them because that's, I can't hold that to them because that's where they got to do some growing, not me. So help me understand something, man, mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the sexuality piece. Yeah. Did you think you were gay? I didn't know what I was. I just know that I need to get this out of my system. So I went to, I started exploring. I'm on, I'll tell you exactly, I'm on my phone. I think I was in high school when I first like started looking at mail on mail. Like, no, I was in some little chat, AOL chat rooms. And I think my mom's had caught me, but she ain't say nothing about it. She had asked me one day in the car, you gay? I'm like, no, I ain't gay. This is high school. And then college comes and I'm like free. It's women's galore. Like, I got my, you know, pick of the litter. So I'm like, you know, in order to fight this, this whole notion of my mom thinking that I'm gay, I'm going to make them think, oh, Jeremiah, he ain't gay. All these women he be messing around with, he cool. And then I think I graduated from undergrad, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. This is going to sound very stereotypical, but this is my life. Started exploring, like, got curious. And curiosity beat this cat. So I'm on computer. I'm on Craigslist. I started off at Craigslist. I met up with this, this one random dude, and we had sexual intercourse. And, you know, I, it was like, for some odd reason, I didn't keep the same person. And for some odd reason, I've never, all the men I've been with, ain't never caught an STD, never caught AIDS. You know, I think, that, that's why I thank God. And that's why I, my relationship with God is so personal, because, like I said, the things I've been through, you know, this is a Craigslist killer. I couldn't have got killed one night. You know, I couldn't, like I said, that's why I tell people I shouldn't be here sometimes. That's what I mean. It's because the things that I was doing, you know, the recklessness of my life once upon a time should have taken me out. But God spared my life because I didn't understand what I was going through. You know, trying to experience, you know, homosexuality. You know, I was experiencing all this stuff, you know. And I sat down myself and I cried in the shower one day, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, yo, Jovan, you got to make a decision. You can't be back and forth. Now, it's not like I was dating chicks and doing, you know, doing a do at the same time. I just don't believe it. I feel like, man, if you're going, if this you're going to experience, experience that and be there. And that's what I had to do. I said, I'm not going to be, I didn't date anybody. People tried to hook me up. Yo, you should date someone. So I'm like, no, I'm cool. And people didn't understand, but it was just, I had to get that out of my system. 
And I think that's what it was for me, like, you know, really just trying to understand human sexuality, understand my sexuality. And <clears throat> like I said, I was crying in the shower. I'm like, yo, you got to make a decision, Jovan. And I made a decision. I said, you know, what do, I, what do you want? And I said, I want a family. I want a wife. I want kids. You know, this is what I want. And I made that decision. Never went back. So are you... And I, and this is me just really trying mm-hmm. to understand, bro. And uh, and forget, yeah, because I be open, bro. I, were you? Am I hearing you say that you're? And I don't get the terms right, bro. So forgive me. Me either. Okay. <laughs> so, are you, so are you? Are you? Are you <laughs> thank you for that. I, here's what I'm hearing you saying, correct mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I'm hearing you say, I like dudes and women, but I'm choosing to be with women and cut that part off. Is yeah. that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, so you're hearing that, but you, um, I think what you're also hearing is that for me, I didn't connect emotionally with men. So like for me, it was like, I don't see myself like, yo, I want to marry a dude. I wanna, like, I've never kissed a dude before. To me, that turns me off. You know, I think for me, it was just that, me being molested, my therapist helped me really navigate this part of my life. Was okay. me being molested was my first sexual encounter was with a dude. So inside of me is thinking my hormones and all of my sexual parts are saying this is what you might like. And me not understanding sexuality as a man is like, well, maybe you do. Like, you know, there's I like dudes like you say, I'm not, not staying night with you, dude. Like, I'm in and out. Like, I'm not trying to be here with you. Like, I seem to get, I there's no get my, intimacy. Yeah, there's no intimacy. There's nothing intimate with you. Like, I don't like you like that. Okay. And, like, I think dudes is, like, more so, like, well, I, I like you. I don't like you like that. I'm just here for a nut, and I'm gone. And that's all it was. But for me, with women, I'm very, I love women. You know, I'm very intimate with them. I like compassion, understanding them. I love, you know, women are so soft. You know, I, I love, like, feeling the woman. I love talking to them. You know, it's just, I think, for me, it was, like I said, I think it was just something I needed to get out of me. Okay. And to say, you know what, are you? Maybe you are. Maybe you might want to try intimacy with men. And I feel like, you know, I didn't want to get into a situation where I got into something so deep with a woman that I hurt her. Without was, exploring that side. Without exploring that side of me. And I think that's the, that's the kind, I think where a lot of men who are dealing with that, I think that's what they need to understand. It's like, you don't realize you're doing more damage to somebody else while you're trying to figure yourself out. Yeah. And I didn't want to damage anybody else because the world is already cruel. Men are already cruel to women. You know, we do women so dirty sometimes. Yeah. You know, I've done women so dirty. I, I know it personally. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, I decided to say, Jovan, you explore that side of your life. Whatever happens, happens. You know, I got to take accountability for whatever happens. So if I came out with HIV age, I had to take accountability for that. Thank God I didn't. STD. Going to the clinic, man, scared out my life. Because it's like, you know, what if I got something that I can't get rid of? Then it's like, even when I started back dating again, when I started dating, like, that was hard. Having that conversation with women, like, yo, like, once upon a time, this is my life. How'd that go, bro? Tough. <laughs> I think I may have, I think one lady I dated, I think she might have left because of that. And I had, and me going into dating, I had to know that, hey, not every woman is going to be okay with that, you know? And I had to, you know, come to terms and come to, I'm, I'm cool with that. I get it. That's just not your, that's not your prerogative. That's not your type of dude. I'm okay. That just means that you and I aren't meant to be. And I'm okay with that. You might be fine. I may want you in the worst way. Wow. But I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Because my thing is, 
you live in a world, I look at the world, there's, there's so many DL men who don't want to be with women. There's so many men who just don't, that's, their, sex, their choice is the same sex. There's so many women out here that I know that deep down in my heart that God has somebody for me, you know? And you believe that? I believe that, in my heart of hearts. It's just, when people saw oh, the dating scene is so ghetto, it's so this and the third, I had a ball dating. I had fun, because I made it fun. My best friend like, yo, don't go in it so deep. Because I wanted to. I wanted to go, like, what's your, you know, what's your name? Tell me all you know about your life. Let's get into it, you know? <laughs> and my best friend, yo, you leading the wrong way. My therapist said, you leading the wrong way. I want you to have fun dating. And I, that, there's some lady named April Mason. She was on one of the podcasts to work for. She said she had, a, she had fun dating. And I said, I'm gonna, when I go back into dating, I'm going to take that same notion with me. I have fun. Not to think about what the future could be with this individual because they could not be for me. Because chicks I went on dates with said, I, I knew from jump, we ain't meant to be. I just knew, like my spirit said, that's not it. But I still went against myself because it's, I was still learning to trust myself again. So when they hold dating, it seems like, yo, I tell people all the time, go just go have fun. The dating pool ain't bad. It's just that you're looking at it in the wrong, a different direction that you need to look at it from. It's like, yes, I understand you want to settle down. Yes, I understand you getting older and you want to have kids. I get it for both men and women. I get that. But at the same time, you got to understand that maturity level, everybody's not there where you are. And that's where you go, um, you go like, like sports um, dudes who go scouting. Mm. They go scout for the best athlete. Yeah. In dating, you should go scout for the, pers- the best person for you. And that means going on multiple days. Now, my thing is, because I'm a cheap guy, I'm not cheap, I'm frugal. There you go. <laughs> I'm not about to be going on, you know, dating all these chicks at once, spending all this money on people who don't have a future, I don't have a future with. I look at dating different. We're going to go grab some ice cream. We're going to go grab a drink. You know, something that's budget-friendly for me for, my, for that fits my pockets, you know? I'm not doing what everybody, oh, I got to go splurge on you and do this, all the types of stuff. Like, that ain't me. And if you can't rock with that, you ain't my type of person. I met a guy. Let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. I know a guy who is gay. And like you, people be sharing shit with me too, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love it, by the way, because I, like I feel like I have that kind of spirit too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the, and the guy was like, he's gay, and he's adopted, you know, um, the, the, the gay lifestyle. And he was talking about coming to a conclusion mm. that he might not be gay. Mm in the traditional sense because but but he's actually responding to a violation that occurred with him when he was younger yeah now he was having issues with his dad and what he was really seeking bro more than anything was just like that fatherly type of love yeah and he was willing to do just about anything, anything. to get just that to but he's adopted the behavior patterns mm-hmm. and the lifestyle for so long that now he doesn't know how to, he's scared to get out of that pattern because he's been doing it for- so, And that's what he knows. For so long, and, and that's, that's what, what he knows. Know, and that, that's what people know him as. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I was talking about earlier in my family, how they only know a certain part of me. They don't know the part of you that wants to change, that's trying to change, that's seeking to change. So it's, for me, it's just like, I can't hold anybody to who they are today because they can wake up tomorrow and say, I want to be a new person. And they can mean that in their heart of hearts. Like, dude can mean in his heart of hearts, like, yeah, I really want to change. And we got to believe him. 
So you're, you're saying people, there are people in your family who still think of you as gay? I don't know what they think of me. But oh, okay. I, you know, okay. I'm, I got I'm you. saying like, you know, just the person that they've held on to me as. Understood. So I got like you. I got you. As the 12 year old boy, the 15 year old. I got you. Know, you. I got whatever you. may be. I got you. It could be. I don't know. That's probably why they don't talk. I don't know. You know, it's just, I feel like, you know, in my family, we laugh and joke about lots of things. I think that happens in a lot of black families that we laugh and joke about a lot of things, but we really don't get down to the nitty gritty of who my cousin really is. Yeah, like who, like you know, we everybody has like, of course, their their cousin that they talk to every day and all types of stuff like that. But I think we really don't get like really intimate with our family in the way that we should. Like how you and I are having this intimate conversation. Yeah, we met via social media. <laughs> you know, and I feel like I've met cats via social media that I'm closer than than people I've been in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know we go on in life, and we got blood relatives that we really don't know like that. Or we got blood relatives that we got beef with for no some with some reason or something that happened years ago. Or, you know, I think like as jacked up as anybody's family could be, because my family's jacked up in the way that they can be. I know it. They know it. We all know it. I still love them. Yeah. Because I can't hold them to what they're not willing to deal with just yet. Mm-hmm. I can't hold them and say, well, I've grown. You need to grow. Everybody's journey is different. You know, my thing is love is universal. And I'm still going to love you. I mean, I like you. I mean, I like the things that you do. I'm still going to love you. Love transcends that. Yeah. I'm still going to show up for you. What would you, what would you say if the, if the brother was here, man, who I just mentioned, what would you say to him? I would say, man, just be free. Like, don't let people hold you to a person that you no longer serve. Don't let people hold you to the person that you are right now, when you know in your heart of hearts, your future self says, be different. Don't let people hold you to like, you know, if you feel like there's characteristics of who you were, that's gonna follow you to the rest of your life, be okay with that. Be okay with being hated. Be okay with being judged. Be okay with not being understood. There's times in my life, I still feel like I'm not understood, but I'm okay with that. You know, it's like, I had to release the notion of what people thought of me because that was the one thing that was holding me cap- captive. Was that everywhere I went, I would always in my head feel like I'm being judged. And I, fully, I couldn't fully be present or fully be myself because the thought of being judged is kind of like, you know, blinding my vision of where I am in the moment. So I tell dude, man, just be yourself, man. Whoever you want to be, be that person. And you will find your tribe of people who need to love on you in the way they need to. Like there I found... Go a group of brothers that I can go to and talk about my past lifestyle with and be okay with it. We laugh, we joke. The survivor circle I was telling you about, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Like we have meetings, we call, like I'll call my boy, call me, I'm going through it. Yeah, man, I think I'm having a moment. You know, it's like, you need, every man needs a tribe, you know, where it's like, I can go to these, like, it, it ain't gotta be the same tribe. It can be very different. Like I, I can have a tribe for sexual molestation over here. I can have a tribe over here for like, you know, finances. I have a tribe over here, like, because every man, <clears throat> every group that we're in together, they may not be there. And they may not be comfortable with that space of, you know, talking about homosexuality. And I got to be okay with that. Yeah. But I got to try with guys who's okay with it. I got to try with guys who say, you know what? Finance is my thing, man. And I'm trying <laughs> to figure out my finances right now. So <laughs> it's like, you know, you just got to pick and choose your tribe. And find, I feel like your tribe will find you when you allow your heart to seek it out for you. You know, when you say, when you speak it out to the world, 
you speak into the universe that, yo, this is what I'm looking for, it'll show up for you. I told myself, I need more manly relationships in my life. And they begin to show up. Yeah. And when you, I, I believe in the power of speaking in it into existence. I, anything I've ever needed in life has showed up for me. When I spoke, opened my mouth and said I needed it. And that comes with being vulnerable, though. Yeah. That comes with being, you know, going to a place that you don't want to go to. Saying things that, you know, when it hurts or when it scares you. When your voice, you feel your voice is going to shake when you say it. Still say it. Still do it. I feel like most men, we don't want to be vulnerable because it makes us look naked. And we don't want to be seen in that way. But it's just like, you know. Like weakness. Yeah, it's showing us weakness. It's like, I feel like, I tell people, that, vulnerability is the new sexy. You know, if you really want to get deep down and dirty with somebody, be vulnerable with them. You know, my lady I'm dating now, like, I'm getting, I'm, she's getting the best version that I've ever been of me dating because of my vulnerability. I'm still working through some things. Mm-hmm. I still joke too much. I still say things at the wrong moment. No such thing, bro. <laughs> yeah. You don't never joke to it. Like, listen. Now, it might be the kind of joke. Yeah, the kind of joke. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah. yeah. So it's just, but it's just, she's getting the best version of me that I've ever been because I'm vulnerable. I'm transparent. I'm free. I'm me, you know, and I pride myself on certain things, you know, like, I tell her, yo, I, I joke with her. She think I'm joking. I'm dead serious. Like, black men don't treat, don't cheat. Black boys may cheat. Mm. And a boy can be 36 years old, 56 years old. It's when he becomes a man that he decides to put away his childish ways. I've never cheated on a woman a day in my life. And I pride myself on that. And I tell her all the time, like, I don't cheat. So it's like, you know, there's certain things as men we need to pride ourselves on. Yeah. And, be, and beat our chest on that joint. Yeah. And there's lots of things that I beat myself on my chest with because, like, yo, like, I stand on that. You know, it's just like, you know, me being vulnerable. I, we've cried, I've cried with, in front of her and felt okay crying. Most men won't do that. I've cried in front of my homeboys and it was okay. Cried in front of some women, it was okay. You know, once upon a time, I felt like I'll be judged by, if I cry in front of people. But it's like, yo, like, tears are natural. They are natural. Like, natural. Like, somebody died. We gonna cry? <laughs> yeah. So now that I'm dealing with my emotions, it makes me less than a man. Yeah. No, it's like I don't, I don't follow that notion of, of life no more. You know, it's just like being vulnerable has been my superpower. Now let me ask you a question though, because this is a part. Because I got <laughs> my vulnerability goes up to this point, mm-hmm. and I want to know how you. I'm not gonna frolic, bro, in in the in the in the uh, in like a pasture. Or like the phone holding like this. I've you, done it. You're fine. Ah! <laughs> 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 my homeboy hit me up. Like, Yo, you trying to frolic? I said, let's do it. Oh, what? Yeah, it's on my page. What you say, bro? You said we frolicking. Oh, we frolicking. We frolicking, my boy. We just frolicking. I was outside. He said, you want to do it? I said, let's do it. Because my thing is like, I want to show men it's okay to man to just be free. How did frolic feeling, bro? I've never been able to. It was to a ask. little uneasy because I in my head like my neighbors gonna look at me. Y'all. I'm in the front of my apartment complex. My phone just running. I'm frolicking. I'm frolicking. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a little weird, but like you know, in the moment of it, like once I got past that, it was cool because it's just like this is another side of freedom that every man needs to experience. He may not want to do it, but I be, I believe in it. In the heart of heart of a man who wants to be free, he gonna do it. Do you have any elements of toxic masculinity remaining, bro? Or do oh, you yeah. feel like okay? Give me an example. I'm, I'm trying troll. to feel better about myself. I'm a troll. 
Okay. I I like stirring up some stuff. Sometimes I like stirring stuff up just to get a rea- reaction out of people. Okay. But they know some people don't take me seriously. They know I be, they know that Joe Biden's just doing it just just to get a reaction. I got you. You know, um, but it's not much of a, a toxicity inside of me because I don't want those things to live inside of me. My things when I decided to have kids, man, I don't want my son to have any of those traits in me. You know, I wanted to see that like, your dad was a stand up dude. You know, like I look at my dad. My dad's a stand up guy. You know, he has his faults. He has his flaws. Just like every man, I got my flaws. My father look at me and say, "Yeah, Jovan, you, your shit stinks sometimes." Yeah. And I gotta take that because I know it do. But um, I just don't like my thing is like this whole. I feel like men just need to be men. And I think nowadays men aren't being men. I think men are just stuck in. In their teenage years, and they don't want to grow because. They get more attention being that person. Yeah, they do. Than they do being the man that they need to become. Because most of the most of this man shit is an inside job, and it ain't pretty. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not glorified in a way that the, that the bullshit is. Exactly. At all. Yeah. You know, as much you gonna you gonna get points for having two or three, and working that, you ain't gonna get points for having one. And matter of fact, even if you do got one, the way that this stuff is set up now. Women are going to be sitting, look at you saying, oh, I'm just waiting for, he got to be doing something yeah. on the back end. Yeah. Oh, he ain't really committed. Right. He, it's like, it's no matter what you do, even if you showing up mm-hmm. in the way, in the, in the, let me, let me correct that. There is no such thing as perfection, right? For sure. So even in this concept of what a, a, a man is and masculinity and all of that, the way some the way society can make us feel at times is that there has to, you got to come to the table with a level of perfection. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I really like about you, bro, is that you started showing up to be useful early before you had it all together. And I think some men think that they can't be men. Yeah, absolutely. Or show up as a, as a man Unless they're checking all of these boxes in oh, a way. And sometimes like, hey, look, man, yeah. shit. I got I be I be asking my woman to borrow some money every now and then, but I'm still a motherfucking man. Hey, hey, and you that know, don't make you less than a man. That, it don't make you less than a man. Because but some people will think they're some men will think they're not. And some women will think that men aren't men because they gotta borrow some money. Like there was this post on Twitter uh, where this chick handed her dude some money under the table so he can cover the bill so he didn't feel like, you know, less than a man or he didn't feel like, you know, some type of simple whatever. And I reposted it and said, she can hand me the money on top of the table. It's not going to make me feel no type of way. Yeah. Because my thing is, like, society doesn't take away from what I've built up to be a man. Yeah. You know, if she wants to cover the bill, so be it. I'm a letter. And it doesn't take away from me being a man. If she says, yo, I want to do, I want to work for the rest of my life, so be it. Yeah. You know, it's dudes out here pushing this whole toxic masculinity thing of like, yo, if, if your lady's still working, you ain't a man. If y'all 50-50, you ain't a man. And I'm like, yo, like, who made you the, the guru of, of manhood? Who are you, bro? Yeah, like, my thing is like, you're not talking about the time where you ain't have it together. Yeah. And your lady had to cover for you. Now all of a sudden you done made yeah, it. Yeah. You got, you know, thousands of millions in your bank account and your lady don't have to work. You pushing that no- notion of everything to do. What about the guy who wants to be a teacher? Yeah. We know I know teachers. That's going to be a two, a two house, a two Absolutely. income joint. Yeah. The In dude, most cases. Yeah. The dude who wants to be a social worker like myself. Therapist. You know, the dude who wants to be a coach. 
The man who wants to be, you know what, whatever he wants to be. What about those dudes? And they make them less than the man? Yeah. But you know, the man who's a teacher who's there teaching your child, he's less than the man who's teaching your child education, his educational ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't take away from what somebody wants to be in life just because you chose a different path. Yeah. You know, there's women out there who say, you know, they're career-driven women who want to work, who desire to work. And some people say, oh, then, you know, that's just a trait that just comes from them because they just scared and fearful. And it could be. Mm-hmm. They've seen things in life and they've seen poverty and they don't want to go, go back to that. My thing is this. If that's what they want to do, let them do it. Nothing can take away from your masculinity. The only person who can take away from your masculinity is you, the person inside. You can't take away from me, James. I, you, know, you can't say to Javon, man, like, you're not a man because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And my thing is, I can't believe that. I got to believe in my heart of hearts that, yo, Javon, you showed up today as a man. And the real, the real blessing, I think, mm-hmm. for a, a man-to-man relationship is to see the elements yeah. that are in another man. Absolutely. And reflect back to him what he might be missing yeah. in himself to be like, nah, bro. Because if I'm coming to you and telling you what you're not, it's my job to tell you what you are. Exactly. It's for you to figure out what you're not and figure. My job is to reflect back to you the things that I see because those are the things that I'm reflecting back mm-hmm. to myself. And, the same, and, 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 and that's what I feel even in a male-female uh, platonic relationship, yeah. that's, that's important too, but we've got to do a much better job of speaking love and life into each other yeah. as men. And it's not by sitting here talking about what you ain't doing. You know what you ain't doing. Exactly. I don't need to tell you. I mean, that's a, that's a I stand up because sometimes if you fucking up, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. my it, bad. It takes you to a couple Yeah, because I had a couple. Because that conversation, it bothers the hell out of me because it's just like you talking down on the next man like you ain't been in that space before. Yeah. Like you act like you've yeah. had a, the silver spoon in your life and in your mouth the entire life. Yeah. And it's, that's not true. Like, you know, this, this conversation, we can have a whole other episode on and we can go days on this topic. But it's just. My thing is, if I can leave men with anything, it's just, yo, just be you. Mm-hmm. Figure out the path that you want to take and allow that path to lead you where it needs to lead you, and it's going to lead you to the space that you need to be in, the rooms you need to be in, the doors you need to be in. Your name is going to be in spaces because you showed up as you a thousand percent. You didn't allow social media, to, these little gurus, to say, you know, well, you're not a man because X, Y, and Z. My thing is, you showing up for your family, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you're a man. Food on the table, roof over your head, you're not slapping nobody, you ain't beating nobody, you ain't, you know, tearing your family down, tearing other men down, tearing women down. To me, that's, you're a man. Now, if you are doing those things, that's a different conversation. It's different for for later, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you are providing in the way that you know how to provide, you're striving to become better every day, you're still a man. Now... Not only are you a man, bro, you a coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, th- you're taking this, these life experiences, man, and I can only imagine how you're impacting people's lives through, you know, these, these, these therapy sessions and stuff mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're doing. Talk about, like, what you're doing now. I mean, because obviously that's a, 
that's a victory in yeah, every yeah, sense absolutely. of the word. Yeah. Um, so now as a therapist and a coach, man, I get to share all my life experiences. You know, I think I've, there's clients I've ran across that I said, you know what, we're not the right fit. And I had to be okay with that. Because once upon a time, I thought I was supposed to fix everybody. And I think lots of therapists, we run into that situation. Lots of coaches feel like we need to, we can fix everybody. And I had to be man enough to say, you know what? I can't fix everybody. I can only fix the ones who want to be fixed. I can only fix the, I can only, I even truly fix. I can only help the ones that wants to be helped. I can only coach you through certain situations. You know, there's certain things that I know is out of my league. How to make a million dollars? I can't help you. How to heal your heart? I can help you. How to heal your past? I can help you. You know, those are the things I can do. And I, this I know I'm called to just because lots of therapists, they take this stuff home with them. I don't. I leave it at whenever that clock's in for us to, in our session, I leave it there. And we pick it up the next week. You know, I don't take on people's problems as much as I used to because I was a big empath. I've learned that everybody got some stuff going on. Everybody. Every client that I've come through, they have something going on that they're just trying to get through. And, you know, I do therapy a little bit different than most therapists do. And I'm okay with that. You know, okay. I thought I had to use all the terminologies and all types of stuff. And my clients love the way that we, we laugh, we joke, we have lunch on, on our session sometimes. You know, we go to the park sometimes. Like, we just do things. I do things a little unorthodox because people, people love that. If we sitting here and you, you laid out on the couch and I'm sitting here with my legs crossed, you know, a notebook in hand and stuff. You're going to feel uneasy. Yeah. But if you feel like you got somebody in your life who understands and they meet you where you are, they're going to unpack all of their stuff. You know, I've had people find me on social media who've dealt with the same exact thing that I've, been, I've dealt with in my life. And they're getting through that, you know. And I'm, I'm, I tell you, I pride that stuff because it's like, this is what you're called to, Jovan. And as I help, you know, individuals navigate through life and I see the growth. You know, I had this... Uh, I think one of my best sessions was with a father and his son. And the father just couldn't see, get through to his son. The son just couldn't get through to his pops. And I thought about me and my father's relationship and how we grew. And I'm like, I told him, like, yo, like, y'all can grow. Y'all just got to make a choice to put down your, your, both your selfish ways and meet each other in the middle. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this session, you know, pops is hugging his son, hugging, hugging his pops, and they're laughing and having sometimes they never had. And my mom's called me like, what did you do? I said, I just did my job. I did, what I, was, I did what I was called to do. You know, I got another client, you know, where he did on some stuff or he, he got going on. And his caregiver hit me up like, what did you do? I just, I just, I just, I was just me. I showed yeah. up, I was present, I was intentional. I looked him in the eye, I shared a part of me. Because I feel like every session I try to share just a little, just not a lot, because I don't want to steal away, I don't want to steal from what they got going on. But I want them to know that they're human and that I'm not this perfect individual who's yeah. just here to help you. I'm just as flawed as you are. That means a lot to somebody. Yeah. I mean, I, said, I, was real, I was real intentional about when I started going, I wanted, mm -hmm. because I had so many negative experiences yeah. with, with therapists mm -hmm. that he had to be black. Yeah. He had to have a similar uh life experiences right, right, I did. Right. I was real intentional about what I wanted my dude to look like. Mm -hmm. Um because I went through a white dude, went through a white woman, went through a black woman, and I was like, okay, I understand this, I feel all this, but 
this is what I'm, this is what I, this is, I'm going to try this and be intentional with that. Mm -hmm. And it really helped. And, and because the, if, when you feel like there's a chasm between you and the other person, like you, you, you don't feel like the information mm -hmm. is necessarily relatable. Absolutely. And that's what I liked about what I even saw in your, in your presentation. Like you, you speak like we could hang out. Yeah. And like it was like you're you're on my it felt more like peers and like mm. a friendship, even in how you communicate on your joint. I was like, if I was looking for a therapist or somebody, I'd be like, yeah, I, I could I could see us like having a conversation just because of how comfortable you make me feel and how comfortable I feel you are with yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, and not trying to present this facade, because sometimes, man, that's off putting for me mm -hmm. um, when I feel like you. When I feel like there's there, there's something more there other than what I feel needs to be right. for me, yeah. Because I'm trying to shed, and I, mm -hmm. I and it's, it's helpful. It's hard for me to shed when I feel like somebody else is hiding something. Right, right, exactly. And I feel that now, and there's times in my sessions where I don't have the answer, and I tell my clients, y'all, I don't know right now, but hopefully next week I have an answer for you. And I had to get okay. That was like well, I think one of my biggest hurdles in becoming a therapist was. Feeling like I had got I gotta have all the answers on the spot for people. And that was just me. That was just, I realized that's my perfectionist side of me that I've been trying to overcome. You know, I've been a perfectionist since I was a kid. My mom just pointed out, like she told my teacher, like, hey, he might turn his work in a little late because he's working <laughs> on his handwriting. You know, my handwriting was like a big thing for me as a kid. And it just showed up in other areas of my life where I realized that perfectionism can be very toxic. Yeah. You know, because you're trying to show up for like me, I was a people pleaser. And I'm trying to show up for people. I remember as a kid, like, um, this dude was throwing his, um, I think his middle school thing was, he was throwing a birthday party for himself. And I wanted to get invited, but I wasn't like one of the cool kids. So I was just, you know, bringing him like little snacks. My mom's, you know, she would go to Sam's Club and stuff like that. I think it was Sam's or whatever. She bought our bulk stuff at the time. And I would be like bringing snacks and stuff. Like, yo, man, like kind of just to be seen, doing like doing stuff to be seen and, you know, and everything like that. And, or just showing up in the perfect way because I didn't want people to feel like, you know, Jovan is a flawed dude. And I realized that nobody's perfect. Nothing's perfect. This world is flawed. This session is flawed. You know, we are flawed individuals. And once I realized that, I threw my perfectionism out the window. Yeah. Now, sometimes it still shows up in my life in certain areas where, you know, it's like perfectionism and a little bit of OCD where, like, I like things to be in this space and I don't like my, you know, space to be messy and all the types of stuff. But it's just yeah. I'm able to shake it now. Where once upon a time, I, it would pretty much freeze me. Like, I couldn't move until it was perfect or it was right. You know, that's the issue I'm having, kind of like the debacle I have right now with my podcast. Is like, sometimes I want the timing to be right. You know, I want the people to be right. You know, I want it to be the right people because there's people out here who just want to be on camera just to be on camera, to say I was on camera. But I want to be very intentional with my guests and I want them to say, you know what, like, I want their story to free somebody else up, but I also wanted to free them up, you know, because I'm, I'm going to ask questions. I ask people all the time, is there, before we start an episode, is there anything off limits? And then if you, I respect what you say is off limits, but I hope that you come ready to be transparent yeah. and vulnerable because you come in on a podcast called Vulnerable Moments, you know, and it's just, <laughs> 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 but you, you'd be surprised, you know, and it's like, shout out, you know, um, you know, rest of my boy Marcus, you know, he's like, I want to be on a podcast. I'm like, yo, what's your story? He sent me a picture of his arm where he was cutting himself. 
he was like trying to take himself out and you know did he pass away he passed the suicide got the best of him and he passed away early this year hurt me man you lying bro the marcus millions dude yeah oh bro people hit me like yo like yo like you heard of marcus I'm like no like he should be cool like we like he had um he had took over the venue for me that i was managing yeah like people, the dude who was on your podcast and he was talking about his uh his wife and everything the like that. girl when he when he found out his girl was cheating yeah suicide and i didn't know and oh I, bro and that joint it hurt me because i'm like dang like how like how did i not know you know we didn't talk like on an everyday basis but we saw each other it was like yo how you feeling how you doing you know he had to go to the venue like i thought like he had like a lot of stuff planned and it's like i called my best friend like yo i'm not okay today i cried because it was like yo like he just seemed like he was in a space where he was just so much over that stuff. You know what I'm Man, like, I watched the episode, bro. Yeah. Hurt me. He hurt seemed me. like he was so in a good place, bro. And that's what I thought, bro. I thought the same exact thing, man. He was talking about he didn't know who he was. Yeah. I get a phone call. My home, I think my homeboy, he called me. My homeboy, Anthony, called me. He was like, yo, like, you talk to Marcus? I'm like... No, I think he should be good. He's like, man, like, I heard he passed away. So I'm like, I didn't want to hit his wife up because I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to be like, because I'm sure, like, she probably got a million phone calls. So uh, I think I get, I go, I go on social media, I go to his page. I think I went to his page, like, two weeks before, and I'm like, hey, friends on Facebook, what's up? And I couldn't even find him on Facebook. Go to his Instagram, it's just a black picture. Photos gone, everything. I'm like, yo, what's, like, something ain't right. And then um, his cousin hit me up. She was like, yo, I want to let you know Marcus passed away. And she said, thank you for doing this podcast episode because we got to see a side of him that we never got to see. His clip went crazy on TikTok. Crazy to this day. And I'm like, man, like, this joint, even talking about it, man, just, I thought dude was just in a good space. And that's why, that's why I feel like men, that's why we need each other. Because in my head, I'm thinking, like, dang, like, he could have hit me up. He could have Like, I'd, I'd have been there for him. But also, my phone lives on Do Not Disturb, so he, he may not got through. And it was like, I was shook for a little bit. Like, I'm thinking about his wife, kids, his family. He had two kids with the woman. Yeah. The and he got he married with the one. He was a ten year old, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was doing the stuff, man. He was yeah. talking. I just felt like his life was on a upward trajectory, and it's like that's why I say, like you just never know what people are going. It's so hard to process, dog, bro. Because I feel like, I feel like, I feel like I know the dude. I, I literally just saw the episode earlier today. With him on there and talking about his father, his stepfather. Yeah. Committed suicide. Don't I don't know the ins and outs. Not, you know, I was just like, that ain't for me to know because that's personal to him and his wife. You know, I want to respect that. But it's just, you just don't never know. I 
think that was the buildup of everything. It was the it was the crying out to say, you gotta hear me now. Mm. Somebody gotta hear me. Because as a child, no one hears you. As a teenager, no one hears you. Mm. As a young adult, no one hears you. And it's like, someone gotta hear me. Like, I'm, I'm struggling to be best father, the best boyfriend, the best fiance, the best son, the best brother. But who's being the best friend to me? Who's listening to me? And I never felt that until I would say the, the reset. So when I did the reset, it was almost like everything stopped for a moment. Yeah. People started listening like, whoa, I would have never expected that from you because like I said, some people saw me as this or mm -hmm. that. You know, my mother, oh, you were the, the quiet child, the, the you never got in trouble. I was like, yeah, but did you ever hear me? Did you ever listen to me? Yeah. Now I'm, I'm trying to say something. Can you hear me now? So it was a, it was a reset for me. That was the, the quiet moment that I needed for people to hear and say, you know what? Maybe he is going through something. Maybe we do need to listen. And I, as extreme as that may have been, I didn't see it like that in the moment, but that may have been what I needed for people to say, all right, Marcus has something to say. Just never know.